0: Hey, I'm Jim Richards. Welcome to Impact Cyber Church. You know something? I am so thankful for this technology. I, I, I just thank God for this Regular, You know, we're not trying to replace the local church not our goal, but I'll tell you what we're trying to do. All over the world, there are people saying, I want to go in this direction. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to establish my heart. And so you know something? We created Cyber Church because we want to make sure people all over the world have the opportunity to be developed, to be uh, taught, to be established in this message of grace, peace, faith, righteousness, the unconditional love of God, Jesus as Lord, and do it from a heart perspective. Today, we're going to be talking about that very fact. We're going to be talking about establishing your heart in the covenant. I call this steadfast in the covenant. You're going to see why this is so incredibly important, and, and you're going to understand why doing this from your heart is so incredibly important. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey, I've got a great download for you this month all the evidence you need. You say what that's about? I'll tell you what that's about. That's about gathering the evidence to persuade your heart to believe God for whatever you need in your life right now. Listen, download this right now. It's my gift to you. You know, one of the scriptures I refer to quite often, and I, I hope, you know, if you get tired of me referring to a scripture, then you might need to pray about it because if, if you get tired of any scripture that can bring you life or any scripture, that, any scripture, then, then, then you're not getting out of it what you could get out of it. So just let me encourage you that. But Jesus said something. See, remember, Jesus came so that we could have abundant life, so that we could have zoe so that we could have the quality of life that God possesses. That's, that's the goal. That's always been the goal that God has had for His people. You know, even in the Old Testament, God would say, listen, I'm going to give you these commandments. And, and let me put a little parenthesis. How many people tell you that the commandments are fear-based? Nothing God has ever done has been fear-based. Everything God has ever done has been love-based. It's been based on the fact that He loves man and wants man to have the best quality life he could possibly have. And so the commandments, and we talked about this, I think, last week, there's not even a word in English that properly translates the, con- the, the word commandment or the word law. It has nothing to do with legalism. You know, religion turned it into legalism. These were, these were prescriptions to show people how to live a healthy, quality quality life. But even in the Old Testament, God would say, listen, I'm going to give you these commandments, and if you'll apply these things, your life will be incredible. You'll have a good life. Your nation will be stable, and, and, and you will love me. In other words, God links quality of life to being able to love and trust Him. Because if your involvement with God makes your life worse, and it's amazing the believers that think, you know, boy, since I became a Christian, it, it, it's just gotten harder. Well, I'll tell you something. If it's gotten harder, then you have not taken Jesus' yoke and that yoke means his doctrine, his interpretation of who God is, his interpretation of how to apply the Word of God. Because he said his yoke would make it easy and light and you'd find rest to your soul. So I'm just just—I'm not trying to make you mad, not trying to get in an argument with you, but I'm telling you, if your walk with God is hard, you haven't taken on the yoke that Jesus presented and you haven't specifically haven't believed it. In your heart, because God directly links being at rest, uh, having a good life, having a quality quality of life, He links that <clears throat> to our ability to to receive His love and, and or recognize it as His love, and thereby trust Him. So I want you to know something: God God knows that if if you experience His goodness that you're going to be faithful. You're going to fall in love with Him. And it's not that He's buying your love. It's just that you're not going to love God or feel loved by God if life is hard all the time. You're going to be questioning God. You're going to be wondering why these things are happening to you. So so Jesus said, I've come that you might have zoe. That's what it says in the Greek, which means the quality of life, life possessed by the one who gives it. And, and then another <clears throat> passage of Scripture in the book of John, he says, and this is life. In other words, if, if you want to know what life is. See, we come up with these descriptions about life or these definitions about spiritual life that are not rooted in anything that Jesus taught us or anything that Jesus showed, showed us. You know, I, I, I see people that talk about how righteous they are and they live ungodly lives. And I'm like, you know, I didn't see Jesus living an ungodly life. I didn't see Jesus doing the things that you're doing. So, so tell me, how is it if Jesus is Lord that, that you're, you're all about how righteous you are? I know you, you've been given the gift of righteousness, but you're not living in that righteousness. It's not, you're not enjoying that in your real life. So it's not helping you one bit. So, so he, says, he says, now listen, this is life. If you want to know what life is, don't define it by your subjective experience because you get a warm and fuzzy feeling when you hear somebody say something or teach something. This is life that you might know, and that word know gets back to the word experience. It's, it's not just to know informationally, but you, but you know who God is and you experience who God is. Now, see, I want you to understand something. When you talk about information, you know, the Word of God, the written Word of God, it plays two roles in, in how it affects you. It affects you on the intellectual level when you renew your mind. And renewing your mind is the functional Form or the functional application of repentance because repentance is not about wailing and moaning and crying. You might, you know, I'll tell you, when you you realize how much you messed up your life because you didn't trust God, you might wail and moan and cry, but that's not what repentance is. Repentance is when you change your mind. And so if you're renewing your mind, you're obviously changing your mind, therefore you're repenting. And the real truth is uh, the the word for repentance is a word that indicates it's an ongoing state of being. It's it's something that we do continuously. It's it's a way of life. It's the way we approach God. It's the way we approach Jesus as our Lord. He's the master. We are the disciple. As the disciple, we're always yielding to him. We're always open to his teaching and his influence. We're always open to to following him and, and his teaching and his example and and in all things. So, so so there's this concept of renewing the mind. And renewing the mind though is just is just kind of a roadmap. It is not the end of knowing God. It is a roadmap that intellectually tells us who God is and intellectually describes what we should be experiencing. You know, if God is love, then if I am if I'm experiencing God, I should be experiencing love as He defined it. And so we talked about this last week. The, the, the starting place for having an immovable faith. And we're, you know, this whole month we're talking about faith, the missing pieces. We're talking about the little missing pieces that if when you plug them into the gaps, into the holes and your understanding of faith, it's gonna make your faith come alive. It's gonna work for you. But faith starts with knowing. And experiencing the character of God. Now, God said something really interesting in, in the Old Testament in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 138. He says, He says, Above all things, I have exalted my word and my name. Now, God's word and God's name are synonymous. In other words, you cannot interpret God's word in a way that denies his name. You know, taking the name of the Lord in vain is not using an expletive along with the word God, even though that's untasteful and, you know, and I really don't care for it. That's not what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. To take the name of the Lord in vain means to call yourself by God vainly or to to hear His name vainly, With you know, in other words, where it has, where it has no cause or no effect in your life. Because... If I believe on the name of the Lord, then I believe that those names describe to me the characteristics of God. And if the, if the, if the Jews, if, the, if the, the Hebrews, if they had simply followed God's Word and said, these are His names, so let's make sure that we interpret and apply the Word of God on the basis of his name, then you know what—they never would have gotten into legalism. They never would have twisted the Scripture into the destructive things that he is. Now, the names of God are not the complete fulfillment and expression of who God is, but it—but it—it was the starting place. So let's just look at a few of the names of God. Well, we'll, we'll keep going on this, but but. Stop and think as we as we talk about each one of these names. Stop and think if you're taking that name of God in vain, or if you are trusting God to manifest that characteristic of His name. Now, listen, I'll be right back, and we're going to start looking at the names of God because knowing God, knowing who He is, informationally, is the first step toward experiencing who He is in your heart and in your life in a meaningful way. I'll be right back. Don't go away. You know, there's nothing more important than protecting your faith. That's one of the reasons the Bible tells you to guard your heart, because out of your heart, flows all of your abundance of the life because out of your heart is the seat of your faith. And listen, Faith the Missing Pieces is one of these series I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of people who recovered, lost, destroyed, and weakened faith because they learned the pieces that would put all of it back together and make it work like it was supposed to. You want to get this and you want to establish your faith. All right, here we're going to dive into this. Let me me just say this. Be sure and click the like button right at the bottom of your screen there, because every time you like this, this increases how many people get a chance to uh, be exposed to these videos. And listen, we're going to raise up one billion disciples around the world for Jesus. And so everything that you do to get these uh, cyber church messages out to more people is going to greatly, greatly, greatly benefit us. And it's going to benefit the people who need to hear this word of God. So remember, we're, we're wanting to know God. Now remember... You, knowing, experience it. You can't experience anything about God that you, that you have not taken hold of and brought it to yourself. In other words, you haven't received. And you can't receive anything from God that you haven't believed to be true. And you can't believe for something to be true if you haven't heard that truth. So right now we're just we're just kind of going through a process of saying this is who God is. This is the core of your faith, and, and you and you've got to make sure that you see God according to his report, according to his testimony, not according to religion, not according to your own personal preferences, but according to who God is. And we're just going to talk about a few of the names of God. Uh, one of the names of God, and I'm not going to give you the Hebrew name, there's no sense in knowing, but one of the names of God is Jehovah, our righteousness. So The word righteousness means as I should be, or as it should be. And this gets into every aspect, as it should be, uh, in my health, as it should be in my, in my emotions, as it should be in my marriage, as it should be in the way I treat people, as it should be in, in other words, every aspect of my life. You know, you know, we have, uh, we've kind of taken the word righteousness and turned it into some abstract concept of a state of being that has nothing to do, uh, uh, with with reality. You know, the word righteous is one of those words that when you start trying to understand or interpret it, you realize that righteousness is something that is self-evident. You know, the Constitution of the United States, it talks about, it talks about these God-given rights. They're self-evident rights that all human beings should have that only come from God. And that word rights is connected to this concept of righteousness. In other words, uh, th- that which should be in other words, there are certain things that should be for every human being. Now, sadly, the, the uh, political community or the com- co- political climate of this world tries to tell you that there, that there's a, a, a lot of things you should have or should be that, that are not granted to us by God. Therefore, they're not natural and, and they're, they're destructive. But, but we, don't, we don't want to go there. But Jehovah, my righteousness. You know, God is, God is, is my righteousness, and, and it says in Isaiah 54 when talking about Jesus and His finished work, it talks about how that uh, the time will come when our righteousness will be of Him. So being as I should be spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, being as I should be is an expression of who God is. So God wants me to, to be as I should be. One of the names of God is Jehovah who sanctifies. God sets me apart. Now, not in the re- goofy religious way. God sets me apart from the world. God sets me apart from sin. God sets me apart from destruction. God sets me apart unto himself. God sets me apart unto life eternal. God sets me apart unto you know all of these things that are of him and sets me apart away from those things that are destructive and and, and damaging. So God is always trying to move you from that which is destroying you because he's Jehovah who sanctifies. He's always trying to move you away from and set you apart from those things that would destroy or hurt you. Then there's Jehovah who provides. Uh, you know, God's always seeking to make a way. You know, when, Abraham, when Abraham needed to offer a sacrifice, when he, had taken, when he had taken Isaac up on the mountain and he saw the ram caught in a thicket, he referred to him as, as, as Jehovah who provides. Well, in that case, he provided a sacrifice. In our case for salvation, he provided a sacrifice. But he provides whatever we need for life, whatever we need for quality of life. Not what we think we need, but what we actually need. He's the creator. He knows then his name is Jehovah, our peace. In other words, he is the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of peace. And so, so God, God always bring peace. Just think of how many hundreds of times in the Old Testament, you know, when an angel would appear and announce the presence of God or announce a message from God, you know, the first thing he would say would be, fear not, you know, peace, fear not, peace, be still. <clears throat> God didn't show up on the scene and said, I, uh, be afraid. Be in terror. Fall on your knees. Beg for your life. And so, so you start looking at this like Jehovah Rofus, the Lord God who heals. Jehovah who heals. He's the healer. He always heals. Jehovah the shepherd. He's always trying to lead us. He's always trying to take us to the place of green pastures and still waters. He's always trying to get us out of the valley of the shadow of death. And Jehovah our banner. His, his banner all over us is His name. In other words, it's like He has sealed us with His name. Some people call it the banner of victory or, or the standard. But this is, this tells you, I'm in His camp and He made it so. And then there's Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah who is present. He's always present. He never leaves you, never fails you, never forsakes you, no matter what you do, even if you deserve it. So you look at all of this and you say, well, wait a minute. Uh, this, this, My representation of God and what I believe about God it really pretty different from this. Well, see, I've got to tell you something. Almost everything people believe about God. First of all, Jesus manifested all of these qualities and characteristics and showed us what they would look like in real life so that we would see his interaction with people and so we could say, oh, this is, this is what the name of Jehovah who heals is about. He healed everybody that came to him. He didn't turn anybody away. See, what we don't understand about God, he told us this in his name. He showed us this. And the person of Jesus, he empowered this and made this a reality through the death, burial, and resurrection. And he sent it to us via the Holy Spirit who we can yield to by when we yield to his truth. So the truth is God really wants us to have a better life and he's putting more effort into us to have a better life than we are. See, religion has always made us feel that we have to persuade God to give us a better life or to fulfill His promises or we've got to push Him to answer our prayers. You know, we've got to put the pressure on God. There's people who will teach those kinds of things. That's not what Jesus taught. See, the truth is God more passionately desires that you have uh, the zoe, the quality of life, uh, that, that he wants you to have. He, he desires that more passionately than you do. He wants you to have a better life than you desire or a better life than you deserve. See, <clears throat> the most consistent lie that comes from Luciferian influence doctrine is that God wants you to suffer and that the hardship and the pain that comes into your life is somehow God's will. And they're just, you know, God's working out a plan. People lose their children. Well, you know, I don't know what I don't know why God took my child, but it, God didn't take your child. God's name is not Jehovah the murderer. God's name is not Jehovah the child killer. There's this concept that God has to be appeased through our sacrifices and our prayers and, and, and all that we give up for him, that he's a hard taskmaster. But you know what? In the Old Testament, God said he wanted us to obey him from our hearts. So our life would be great. And so that we would love him and trust him. See, knowing him as our loving father, knowing him as the source of life at its best always leads us to trust him. And then experience in his generosity, his kindness, his abundance causes us to love him as our father. And again, after all, his name is not Jehovah who takes away. It's Jehovah who provides. Psalm 81, and I, you know, I refer to this so many times when I'm sharing with you. Psalm 81 verse 10, God tells Israel that he wanted so much better than, for them than they had received. Now remember the nation of Israel, we should look at the nation of Israel as we would our individual life as one man and learn from the experiences that they went through as a nation. Now, since they didn't believe his name, his character or his promises, they settled for what they could get through their own limited concepts of God. They had their own concepts of God. Now, it's what Jesus called little faith. And the little faith isn't having the amount of faith, but it's having little trust for God. Only willing to believe God for little things because this is the God you believe in, that God only does these little things. But in verse 10 in Psalm 81, he goes on to say, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. What do you mean he'll fill it? He'll fill it with good things. He'll fill it with food. He'll fill it with what satisfies. See, Jehovah who provides wants to fill your mouth or your life with good things. So everything that God tells us, everything he's ever told us to do is for our good, not for his good. It doesn't do God any good when we do and follow his word when we trust him and obey him. It doesn't do him any good. It does us some good. We're the beneficiaries of our own obedience, not because obedience earns something from God, but because obedience that is coming from the place of trust follows God into the best life imaginable. So then, verse eleven, he says, "But my people would not heed my voice." See, that's the thing. We've got to be willing to follow his voice. Well. First place we have His voice is in the written Word of God as interpreted by the Lord Jesus, as interpreted by love. We have His Word that tells us how to treat one another, how to make decisions, how to manage our businesses, how to manage our money, how to manage our marriages, how to raise our kids, how to to have civil order. We've got all this and God doesn't need to say it to us again because He's already said it to us once and Jesus shows us what it looks like from the motive of love. But We don't heed. We want something else. We need something else. And God said, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Now, you have to realize God never violates our will. We're creating the likeness and the image of God. And if we choose to harden our heart and resist his leadership, he has no choice but to allow us to follow our own path. Therefore, when hardship comes into our lives, we have to realize we're just reaping, what we have sown. Now, sowing and reaping, this is not God taking action against us. It's the fruit of our beliefs and our actions manifesting in our life. It's us reaching the destination of the path we have chosen to walk. And God goes on to say, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. See, God wants us to walk in our ways. He wants to be children who look like the Father. He said, I would subdue their enemies for them. See, walking in His ways doesn't earn us the good things of God. Walking in His ways leads us to the good things of God. And if we choose not to follow Him as our shepherd, then He can't lead us out of the valley of shadow death. And that's where we'll remain until we choose to follow Him. But He's always trying to lead us because He's Jehovah who's present. And so He's always trying to lead lead us in something better than what we have settled for. See, when we settle... For where we are, it indicates that our limited view of God says, God's not any bigger than this in my life. It indicates a lack of trust. So so we're not trusting him to do what he said he would do in the Lord Jesus. But he's always offering better. Listen to this. He says, he, this says us in Psalm uh, 81, 16, I believe it is. He says, he would have fed them also. With the finest wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. In other words, they—you know—it was so miraculous for them to go out every day and get manna. But you know what? They could have had wheat. And all those people that were complaining about the manna because they were getting tired of eating—they could have had wheat if they had believed God for it. And you know, those people that got tired of all—they had to drink was water. They could have had honey out of that rock. But you see, they limited God to how good they thought it was. They settled for water when they could have gotten honey. They settled for manna when they could have gotten wheat. Now, he explained over in Psalm 78, 14, that they had limited him, that he was offering them more than they had settled for. So in our minds, we perceive God as the one who is limiting the quality of our lives, but in fact, it's our lack of knowledge and trust in God's true nature and God's character. And Psalm 78, 37 explains it all when he, says, when he says, their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. The number one cause of a limited life for us today is the result of our hearts not being steadfast in the new covenant. Listen, don't go away. I'm going to come back and we're going to get ultra practical in my mentoring moment. I'll be right back. If you're ready for your faith to explode into something effective and powerful, if you're ready to take everything you know about God and bring the pieces together so they work, then you wanna get faith, the missing pieces. I'm telling you, it's going to transform your belief, your trust for God. You know, God has opened some great doors for us. I want to give you the opportunity to step through them with us. We just recently sent about 125 copies of Taking the Limits Off God to some of our veterans that are deployed in the Middle East. We also just sent about 150 copies of How to Stop the Pain to a prison that's taken prisoners through using this book and doing a book study together. We've also started dozens of Bible schools in third world countries over the last few months. And we do all of that without asking for a dime or charging them anything because I always tell them our world changers always want to be a part of reaching people around the world. I want you to consider becoming a world changer or at least giving us a generous donation to help us. We've got more books to send out. We've got more Bible schools to start. We are changing the way the world sees God and we are spreading this message all over the world, but I need you to help me financially. and go to our website and become a part of our World Changer family. Listen, be sure at the end of this program to click the subscribe button. Man, this will help us reach more people. And it's going to pop up. It won't take you but five seconds. It's going to help us and it's going to give you a chance to help some other people. Now listen, most believers that I've talked to over the last 45 years absolutely either didn't know or did not believe the new covenant. They knew there was a new covenant, but they really knew nothing about it. Therefore, there's no way that their heart could become steadfast in who God is or what God's offering. The covenant that God established in the Lord Jesus took place as a result of Jesus living a life of obedience, obedience driven by faith, and then ultimately at the cross, he he hangs on a cross, he becomes our sin, He takes our punishment. He takes our rejection from God. He dies the death that we deserve. But in all of this, he believed God and he kept believing the promises that God had made to him. Therefore, he was raised up in righteousness. He went into heaven, cast Satan out of heaven and um, uh, sat down at the right hand of God, purged the heavenly holy of holies and received an inheritance that included all of the promises of God. So then God makes with him what's called the covenant of peace. And God says, even though I poured my wrath out on you, even though I did this, I will never, ever, ever again pour my wrath on you. My kindness will never, ever depart from you. And since we believe on Jesus, we have been baptized into the person, into the body of Christ. Therefore, we share in that covenant. We don't have an individual covenant with God. So you've got to begin to look at all that God God gave Jesus through the covenant, which would be every promise he's ever made, plus a lot more. And and you've got to begin to identify yourself as being a person who is in the covenant because you're in Jesus. You share in the covenant with Jesus. And however you do it, you know, you, you... I teach people to meditate and see Jesus stepping into them or see them stepping into Jesus so that we can identify ourselves as one with the resurrected Lord. So whatever you have to do now to begin to identify with and see yourself as connected to and living in and sharing in the resurrected Lord, this is the time to do it.